All right, well, if you could begin making your way back, that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. I uh, get the privilege here to lead you in prayer for uh, our time together in God's Word and to pray uh, specifically for Kevin, and I am grateful for the opportunity for him to, uh, to share uh, God's Word with us this morning. As we continue in Ecclesiastes, and we have this, the opportunity to think through the next batch of wisdom that uh, Solomon writes for us, and Kevin for him as he preaches. So would you pray with me? And we'll turn it on over to you, man. Father God, we are grateful for this day that you've given us, and I am grateful for, uh, for Kevin and uh, his willingness, his ability to open up your word and, and preach to us. And God, I, as, we, as we come now to this time, we ask that you would speak so clearly to us, and that you would do so, so through your word and through the words that Kevin says. God, I pray that you'd guide and guard his words, that they would be accurate to your word. And Lord, this morning we want to hear from you, and we want to understand the Bible well. We understand, want to understand how it is that this batch of wisdom sayings uh, should be applied in our lives. And so, God, give us ears to hear and hearts that understand. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. As Pastor Tim said, we're continuing our series on Ecclesiastes. And uh, if you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, it's going to be found on page 558. Before we dig into the actual text, though, I just wanted to review the series goals that Pastor Tim's laid out for us. And we're going to refer back to them here this morning. Uh, the first one is that we may see all areas of life as opportunities to worship Christ. And second, that we may see all areas of life as potential traps in idolatry. And third, that we may see that an abundant life is found in and through Jesus Christ. So let's read together Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11 through chapter 10, verse 7. And again, if you want to follow along the Pew Bible, it's on page 558. It starts there. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard and quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he's a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I've seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. 
folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. So whenever I've looked at Ecclesiastes in the past, probably right up until, just about until we started covering this on Sunday morning, I've always looked at it and kind of been like, I don't really want to read this. This is pretty depressing, right? Because you, you figure Solomon is, should be the happiest guy on earth. Nobody's probably ever been richer than him. He's had everything his heart could desire. He has wisdom directly from God. And yet you start reading Ecclesiastes and he says everything's meaningless. So I've always been kind of like, I don't really want to read this. I'm going to go read Psalm, something happy, right? And so it's been really cool for me to see how much you can glean from Ecclesiastes in terms of putting life in its proper perspective. And it kind of makes me think of what I do at the hospital where I work. Part of my duties involve talking to people that are waiting in the emergency room for treatment. And let me tell you, it's a little slice of real life there in that emergency department waiting room because you have people from every potential walk of life, rich people, poor people, people with all conceivable kinds of sicknesses and injuries. And they're all in a pretty crummy position, right? It's probably one of the worst days of their life, if not their worst day of their life. Somebody could be even dying in their family or a close friend could be dying. Or it might not be that bad. But you know who the happiest people are in the emergency department waiting room? The ones that bring a book. Because... They're the ones that have the most realistic expectations. They say, you know what? I'm going to go there. It's going to be really crummy. I'm going to have to wait a long time, so I might as well bring a book. They're the people that are all right. On the other hand, the unhappiest people are the ones that come in with a hangnail and expect to be treated ahead of that person that's dying of a heart attack. It's kind of all about your perspective, all about your expectations, and I think Solomon does a pretty good job in Ecclesiastes of applying that to the whole of our lives. That's why when I look at this passage, I see some kind of general principles or even rules, you could call them, that Solomon has for how to be happy. Let's look at this first section of the text, verses uh, 11 and 12. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are caught in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Now when you look at that, to me that kind of brings up that fundamental question that people have for God. God, why do bad things happen to good people? You know, why, if I'm smart and if I'm strong, if I'm skilled at my work, why do I sometimes not succeed? Or why does that, that jerk that, that doesn't really do a good job, why does he get promoted ahead of me? Or why, if I'm having a really great track season, do I suddenly get appendicitis and have to have surgery and can't do it anymore, like my son Ryan? And the answer's right there in it. We're, we live in an evil world. If you think back to Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, um, when man fell, we're all caught in that evil snare. And this is a whole subject series in itself. But if you look at that, that last part of verse 12, it says, so the children of man are snared in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. That's a pretty general statement. It doesn't get specific. It doesn't say so the, the bad children of men are snared in an evil time. It, it's everybody. So I think if you were to ask Solomon what his first principle of how to be happy 
what it is, it has to do with a bunch of things. And chance is one of them. If you think about chance, chance is kind of a tricky subject when you're talking about the Bible, isn't it? Because I'm not sure if I really agree that chance really happens. If you think other places that Solomon writes, like the book of Proverbs, you see a verse like this. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So if you think about if stuff really happens by chance, I don't really think it does. God knows what's going to happen in your life, and he, he knows what he should allow and what he shouldn't allow. Do we always understand it? No. Um, so I think the first principle that Solomon has for us this morning is don't expect success. Just because you're good at what you do or you think you're smart or you think you deserve it doesn't mean you're going to be successful in life. Okay? Let's look and see what, he has, what else he has for us in this passage. Let's look at the next section, verses 13 through 16. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. So I don't know if this is an actual thing that Solomon saw, or if it's just kind of a parable that he's telling us, but it describes somebody that, that, you, that you root for, right? The little guy who's, who's in, you know, a big a big fish in a small pond who is just the common man and he figures out how to defeat a great enemy. And just to give you a little picture of what this might be talking about, if you're not familiar with sieges and things like that, this is the, uh, the city of Masada or the fortress of Masada that's found in Israel. And I don't have a really good way to point to it, I don't think, but if you see on the right-hand side, there's kind of a light-colored triangle there. Uh, in about 70 A.D., there was a group of Jewish, um, a Jewish rebellion that took, took refuge at the top of this mountain. And according to Jewish history, that, that was their last stand. And the Romans came against them and built that, that triangle there. It's called a siege ramp. They laid siege to that city, and over months of time, they took and, and dumped a whole bunch of dirt there and basically built a ramp. So instead of having to climb up the side of that mountain, they could drive up the ramp like you see here in this next picture. You can see the Roman soldiers going up there with their catapults and trebuchets and a, some kind of siege tower to defeat the Jewish folks at the top of that hill. So that's just to give you a picture of what this is talking about. And if you can imagine a, a man inside that stronghold that figured out how to defeat that, what an amazing heroic thing that would have been. And what a cool example of, of somebody really getting what's due to, their, due to them. Somebody's recognition of their wisdom, but it says in verse 15 that nobody remembered that poor man. Even though it was a small city and probably everybody knew who he was, he was still forgotten. And I think in life we expect to be remembered for stuff, right? You, you hope that you leave a good legacy for your kids and your grandkids, and you, people pay millions of dollars sometimes to get their name on the side of a building, but yet in a generation or two, nobody knows who that person is anymore. And I think Solomon recognized that. He probably thought about that as he was building his great cities and his, his temple and his, his fortresses and everything else that he had. He realized, I think, that he might not be remembered by the next generation. And so I think that 
he wants us to get perspective on the fact that we shouldn't expect to get credit for stuff. You know, it doesn't always happen in life. And as I started to write this list and as I look at it now, it doesn't look like a very happy list, right? So you might be kind of wondering, okay, what is Solomon really trying to tell us here? This is kind of starting to sound like the rest of Ecclesiastes. Is this really supposed to make me happy? Um, And you might even be asking, okay, if I'm not supposed to expect success, I'm not supposed to expect to get credit, what's the point then? Why should I even try? Should I just sit around the house and be lazy or... Maybe I should just try to do it quickly and go rob a bank. And I think Solomon kind of, kind of anticipates those questions in our mind. I think he does this throughout Ecclesiastes if you look at it. Because the next section is probably my favorite part, actually, because it reminds me of Proverbs. Let's look at this part. This is uh, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 17 through 10, verse 4. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Now, I take offense to that as a left-handed person, but that was kind of a cultural thing. We'll get into that some other time. Um, Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he's a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. If you look at that section, you can kind of see a theme. If you look through the words that are in there, I'll show you what I mean here. I don't know if you can even see it up there. The concept of foolishness or being a fool or folly is something that he gets to in this section. And if you look through Proverbs, being a fool and being wise is is contrasted many, many times. And this is no exception. And so I think he's trying to tell us, okay, if you don't expect success and don't expect to get credit, it doesn't mean you get to act like a fool, okay? So I think that our third rule for happiness here on earth is don't be a fool. Okay, so how do you do that? Um, There's lots of advice he has in Proverbs, but he gives us some right here in this passage too. There's kind of three things that he talks about with foolishness and wisdom. And the first one we can find here in verse 2. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. So we can see that wisdom and folly start in our heart. You can see this other places in Scripture too, if you look in the book of Luke. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, but an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So if I get angry... And or you see your colleague get angry, one of your kids get angry, and we have all kinds of vile things come out of us. That doesn't just come from our mouth or our mind somewhere. That stuff is stored up deep inside of us. It could have been there from something that we've taken in years ago, something we shouldn't have watched or read or participated in. That stuff starts in our heart. And elsewhere in Proverbs, it says, "...the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom." And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So if we truly want to get wisdom, if we truly want to avoid and flee from foolishness, it's important that we get to know the Lord and fear the Lord. Knowledge of Him is the only way to true wisdom. We talked about this before here on Sunday morning. So the first guideline I think Solomon would tell us to not be a fool is to watch your heart. If you're acting foolish or somebody around you is acting foolish, it's a heart issue. But what else? He gives some other things too. Let's look at... uh, Verse, 
where are we here? Verse 3. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he's a fool. Now, you might think that somebody looks foolish, maybe. You might think somebody dresses foolishly. I'm sure every generation thinks the one after it dresses foolishly and acts foolishly. But most of the time, it's what we say that says that we're foolish. And I think Solomon says this many different places, and this is just an echo of that. But there's a quote um, not, not up here on the screen. I, I'm sure I'll not say it right, but there's a quote that's, that goes something like, better to remain silent and have people think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubts. Anybody ever heard that, that quote? It's been attributed to like Abraham Lincoln or Mark Twain. I'm not sure anybody really knows, but whoever it was probably got it from this verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 17:28. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Sometimes the best thing to do to avoid foolishness is to just keep your mouth shut. Anybody else ever learned that lesson? Any husbands here? Right? Okay. And uh, for any relationship for that matter, sometimes it's best just to, to hold your peace. And that's a hard lesson to learn. Not saying it's easy, but that's definitely a guideline I think Solomon would give us. Another example here. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. I think Solomon would support that concept of counting to 10 before you say the wrong thing or before you, as you consider your words, either keep silent or take a pause or else you may end up looking foolish. So the second concept of how to avoid being a fool is to watch your mouth. You know, don't mouth off to people or they're going to think you're foolish. And there's a third thing that he talks about, I think, to avoid being seen as a fool. And that's this. In verse 4, it says, If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. And there's lots of examples, again, throughout Solomon's writings, where it talks about fools and their rage and their temper. It's not just what you say, it's also how you act. There's physical things you can do. You can punch walls, you can throw things. And that's foolish. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the, wife, the wise bring calm in the end. The wife sometimes does too, right? The wise fear the Lord and shun evil, but a fool is hot-headed and yet feels secure. I haven't seen anywhere in the Bible where it talks about hot-headedness being okay for a Christian. I'll just put that right out there. Um, yes, I know Jesus had righteous anger when he cleared the temple, but I don't see hot-headedness being one of the fruits of the Spirit. Self-control is. And that's echoed here with Solomon. If you're somebody who flies off the handle or who has problems with what you say, that goes back to your heart. So watch your temper and watch your mouth. I think start with that first concept, watch your heart. If you're somebody who struggles with those last two things, look to the first one. And again, Solomon's telling us, you know, you might not be successful, you might not always get credit for the things you think you should get credit for, but that's no excuse for you to be a fool because none of those things are going to make you happy. Let's look at that last section here. Verse, chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. 
Now, that last picture is a little bit hard for us to grasp, I think. We really don't have princes in our society necessarily. We don't, certainly don't have slaves and a lot, a lot of people on horseback. But I think Solomon's wisdom applies in any society at any time. You're going to have people in high positions and people in low positions. And one of those cruel realities in life is that they're not always going to make sense, the people that are there. You know people that sit in Washington, D.C. right now who are completely foolish. I'm sure anybody could name some folks here in this room. And you certainly see um, people who are geniuses that never got the opportunity to develop their talents. And Solomon recognized that both of those things are evil. You have the Kardashians on one side and you have the grade school teacher who's barely struggling to make it on the other side. And I think people look at that example or professional athletes and teachers and they, they look at that, that difference between the two and they say, what an evil, unjust thing that is. But I think what Solomon would say to that is that that grade school teacher who's scraping and, and buying things with her own money just to, to be a good teacher, if she fixates on that professional athlete or on the Kardashians or whoever you want to pick, she's never going to be happy. You can't make that comparison if you expect to be happy in this life. And so I think our last principle for happiness or rule for happiness that Solomon has for us in this passage is don't expect fairness. Now, if you're a parent here, you probably already said that like four times today, right? It's not fair. Well, guess what? Life's not fair. And I think kids are, in a lot of ways, just great unfiltered examples of what Solomon is talking about. You know, we still say the same thing in our hearts as adults, don't we? We see all these unfair things in life. We just don't blurt it out like kids do. But we still have that yearning in our soul for fairness and for justice. And again, if those are rules for happiness, they don't sound very happy, right? Life's not going to be fair. You're not going to be successful. Um, you, sh you probably won't get credit. You can't just be a fool and, and expect to, to be happy. And so you might be wondering, okay, what is Solomon really getting at here? What is, what is really the point? And I think one thing I withheld a little bit from this list is an important phrase that Solomon uses throughout the passage, and that's this right here. It's that these are Solomon's guidelines for happiness under the sun. Under the sun being like this life here on earth that we have, this between birth and death. And in, that, in this fallen world, we shouldn't expect these things. We shouldn't expect to get success or get credit or to be able to act like a fool or to be able to have life be fair. And you see this in the passage. You look in verse 11 and it says, Again, I saw that under the sun you don't always get what's supposed to come to you. You don't get that success all the time, even though you might deserve it based on your talents. And in verse 13, under the sun, there was that, that poor wise man that never got the credit for the heroic thing that he did. And you see in chapter 10, verse 5, that under the sun, that evil thing happens where foolish people get a high position and, and the people who deserve it get low positions. And so that under the sun concept is important. In fact, it's critical. And if you're a believer this morning, the good news for you is that light doesn't end under the sun. It goes beyond the sun. In fact, Jesus said himself in John chapter 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. If you trusted Jesus as your Savior this morning, 
you have a whole different perspective than under the sun. That eternal perspective goes beyond the sun. And when you start to really grasp that, then this list of things takes on a whole new meaning. And you start to see that if all you really believe ends under the sun, then yeah, that is a pretty crummy list, right? If the only thing that you expect, the only expect happiness you expect to have is here on earth, then yeah, you might not be successful, you might not get credit, and that's all you got. But if you trusted in Jesus and have eternal life, um, it goes beyond that. And actually, that points us right back to our goals that we have for this series. Because if you have an eternal perspective in life, then you can see that all areas of your life are opportunities to worship Christ. You go to that job every day, if you have an eternal perspective, you can see that that dollar you're earning or that interaction that you have with a customer or whoever is an opportunity to worship Christ, an opportunity to win somebody to him, an opportunity to then give to, a, to an organization that furthers his kingdom. You also see, like number two, you see that all areas of life are potential traps and idolatry. If your perspective goes beyond just what's here on earth and goes into eternity, then you can see, yeah, that, that vacation or that, that retirement income that I'm planning or that boat that I want to buy, those things in the, in the scope of eternity don't mean anything. And they're idols, or they can be idols. And third, you can see that once you have that perspective that goes beyond what's just under the sun what, to what's eternal, you can see that truly my abundant life is only found through Jesus Christ because only through him you will have that eternal life. And if you haven't made that decision, if you're listening this morning um, and you've never turned your life over to Christ, today's the day to do that. And I invite you to talk to me or to Pastor Tim or any of the leaders here or anybody that you know that's a Christian to make that decision today. Because only then will you truly find happiness under the sun and beyond. Let's pray together this morning. God, thank you so much for your servant Solomon and for his ability to, to teach us, and for the whole witness of your word, Father. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to study it in freedom and to have it in our own language. And, and God, I just uh, ask that you would go with us now as we, we praise you and, and continue to worship throughout the rest of our week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.